Podcastle, episode 367, for June 9th, 2015. The Washerwoman and the Troll, by Julian Mortimer Smith. Rated PG. Welcome to Podcastle. I'm Graham Dunlop, your co-editor and host. I'm sure you're familiar with the Grimm fairy tales and that they're named for their collectors, the Brothers Grimm. I've always thought them appropriately named, however, as many of the tales are indeed quite grim. Before being sanitised by Disney, Cinderella had a rather more downbeat ending. Not for Cinders, but for the stepsisters. I'm just trying to remember, in the Disney version, did they have their eyes pecked out by pigeons? Hmm, no, thought not. Well, today we're proud to present a story with a genuinely grim flavour. The Washerwoman and the Troll by Julian Mortimer Smith. It was first published in the excellent Andromeda Spaceways in-flight magazine, number 57, in April 2013, where it was accompanied by a fantastic illustration by Anna Rep. Julian Mortimer Smith lives in southwest Nova Scotia in a small lobstering town called Yarmouth. Actually, that would be the English pronunciation. I'm not sure of the Nova Scotian pronunciation. His short fiction has appeared in Terraform, Daily Science Fiction, and AE, the Canadian Science Fiction Review. He has stories upcoming in pulp literature and Asimov's science fiction, and you can find him online at julianmortimersmith.com. The story is read to you by someone very familiar to regular listeners, the invincible M.K. Hobson. It's fantastic to hear her reading another full story. She's currently hard at work on a few writing projects, all of which are going more slowly than she'd like. Her latest written offering is The Ladies and the Gentlemen, a novella in the Venificas Americana series. It's currently in production by Audible, and it's also available in e- and paperbook format from Amazon.com. Links will be in the show notes. But now, pull up a chair, listen well, and enjoy the story. The Washerwoman and the Troll by Julian Mortimer Smith Bunchuncle was magnificently ugly. The troll mothers said there hadn't been such an ugly child since Grimshick's day, and Bunchuncle wore it with the pride and mirth befitting a troll. He could pull a face to make you void your bowels and howl with terror. He had a genius for mischief that rivaled even that of old Quillibim, the arch-rascal of moldy stumps. There was much speculation about what would happen if a human ever laid eyes on Bunchuncle, but as far as anyone knew, it had never happened, for Bunchuncle was as quick and sly as he was ugly. When the Fay folk decided it was time to drive the old washerwoman from the blinking woods, they did not come to Bunchuncle immediately. He was reclusive and cantankerous and did not like to be disturbed. Besides, they were loath to seek him out for fear of laying eyes on his revolting face. But nobody doubted that he would succeed if all else failed. They knew he was there as a last resort. 
The washerwoman had arrived earlier that autumn and had built a shack down by the river from mud and reeds. She was a sorry sight, stooped and half-blind. Her hands were cracked and dry from the harsh soaps she used in her work, and she bent double beneath the weight of the wicker wash-baskets that she bore upon her back. Her long, pointed chin nearly touched the ground as she labored to and from Hintershed Village, carrying those baskets like a snail carries her shell. "'She's not long for this world,' hissed Queen Kalahadria gleefully. She delighted in the aging of mortals, finding immense humor in the inescapability of their deaths. She couldn't help but laugh to think of it. It was like knowing there was a hilarious punchline coming at the end of an otherwise rambling and pointless story. "'Don't be so sure,' cautioned Grog Norp of the Puffballs. "'She has that boy-child of hers to care for.' You mark my words, she'll not let herself die until he's old enough to survive on his own, and that might be some time. I don't recall just how long it takes for a human boy to mature, but it's too damn long if you ask me. Although Grognorp was a cynic and a bore, there was general agreement among the fey folk that his assessment of the situation was correct, and that having a mortal living in their domain was becoming tiresome. So, at the next grand bonfire, plans for mischief were laid. First, Blistermuck, the shelly coat, hid in the river, and when the washerwoman began to soap a load of laundry in the rocky shallows, he snatched the edge of a bedsheet and dragged it down to the muddy bottom. The old woman cried out and splashed into the water after the sheet, scared and unsteady in the strong current, but it was too late. She could only watch the white sheet disappear into the murky depths, as if of its own accord. She never saw the shelly coat, but she heard a sound like wet laughter blopping up to the surface. From that day on, every time the washerwoman brought a load of laundry to the river's edge, Blistermuck would steal any garments he could get his muddy hands on. Sometimes it was socks, sometimes underthings or a pillowcase, and once it was her washboard and soap. The washerwoman wept with rage and frustration, but she kept coming back, day after day, with her basket full of laundry, for this was her livelihood, and she and the child both depended upon it. And she did not leave the blinking woods. Next, Blattersworth and Ogretta, the hobgoblins, took up residence in her hut and filled it with dangerous inconveniences. They charmed up roots from the ground to catch her feet as she went about her endless chores. They whispered to the coals in her fireplace so that they would not catch. They hid desperately needed tools and spread mold on her food. They spent the night under her bed, and each time she was about to fall asleep, they tickled her nose with a stalk of wild mustard, causing her to wake, spluttering and sneezing. And although the washerwoman tripped and fell again and again, until she had shattered every dish in the house, and her hands and knees were blue with bruises, although she tried for hours to light her fire, and went to bed crying and shivering, wrapping herself around the child to keep him warm, although she spent entire evenings searching for her needle and thread, or her soup ladle, or her tinder box, although she had to scrape a layer of mold off every piece of food she ate, Although she wept 
and screamed and stood in silent disbelief at her misfortune. Still she remained with the young boy who was her ward. And still she did not leave the blinking woods. Then one day the Birchling sisters stole the child away. They revealed themselves to the boy while the washerwoman foraged for mushrooms, and they led him into the secret depths of the forest. He followed with hands outstretched, his belly brimming with laughter, trying to catch the nimble little fairies in his fat fingers. The sisters flitted through the branches on gossamer wings. They were radiant in the darkness, and they cackled and whispered in the boy's ear, promising that he would have games and magic and desserts if he would only come a little further. He followed them all night and all the next day, going deeper and deeper into the woods, until the branches were so thick overhead that even the strongest sunshine could not reach there, and still he followed the laughter and dance of the Birchling sisters. He followed them for a week, and then a year, and then a hundred years more. He followed them until he grew old and wrinkled, and still he followed with his arms outstretched and laughter in his belly. He followed until he was old and stooped like his grandmother, the washerwoman. And then one day he could follow no more, and the Birchling sisters left him in the woods and returned to their pinecone home, having only been gone a moment, for such was the magic of brownies. But still, the washerwoman did not leave the blinking woods. She no longer had any washing to do. Her reputation for losing garments or bringing them back stained with river mud had ruined her career. She never went to Hintershed Village anymore, and the villagers shrugged and let their clothes grow dirty. The washerwoman spent each day searching for her grandson, calling his name and venturing deeper and deeper into the secret depths of the forest, disturbing the fey folk all the more. She lived off whatever mushrooms and berries and seeds that she found during her wandering, and although Oompa the Imp made a sport of swapping her edible mushrooms for poisonous ones, and although she often grew terribly ill, she did not die and neither did she leave the blinking woods. She just kept on stumbling through the forest's forgotten darknesses, calling the child's name. It's no good, grumbled Grognorp at the next grand bonfire. She's as stubborn as a natterjack toad, and now she's more determined than ever to stay. Mark my words, she won't give up on the boy now. Then let's give him back to her, giggled Marrow Tree, the dryad. So they fashioned a changeling from bundles of rushes held together with beeswax, and Winderwinks, the April elf, glamoured it up with a likeness of the boy. When the washerwoman found the changeling child a month after the Birchling sisters had stolen away her true grandson, she did not speak. She just gathered the bundle of rushes and wax up in her arms, brought it home, and laid it down in the boy's cot. Then she went down to the river and wept in the moonlight. She knows something is amiss, hissed Tagglehop from where he hid amongst the brambles. She fears for her sanity, whispered Scambles, the briar goblin. The changeling child did not speak, neither did it laugh or cry or sleep. It just lay in its cot and gurgled and stared. And yet whenever the washerwoman fed it or changed its clothes or bathed it, she thought she could hear laughter filling her hut, a cruel and mocking laughter. 
but still the washerwoman did not leave the blinking woods. She tended to the changeling in silence and with great patience. She did not play with the child any more, neither did she speak to it or sing the old lullabies that she used to sing. She took care of it with a chilly detachment, as if she did not trust it. Or perhaps she did not trust herself any more. Something like resentment appeared in her feeble eyes, and sometimes when she went down to the river's edge at night, she would scream at the moon like a wolf. That was when Grognorp went to fetch Bunchuncle. As he approached the bone-strewn threshold of the troll's toadstool home, Grognorp tied a heavy blindfold around his eyes to spare himself the sight of Bunchuncle's hideous face. "'Troll, you're needed,' he shouted. "'We've tried everything. She just stays, despite her fear and unhappiness. She stays and stays.' Kalahadria says it's because of her fear and unhappiness that she stays, but I can't fathom that. Anyway, we need you, you heap of rotten mutton. We need your ugliness. We want you to show yourself to her. No mortal could stand the look of you, you filthy piece of beetle dung. The shock of it'll surely drive her mad, maybe kill her, or worse. There was no answer at first, and Grognorp stood sheepishly in front of Bunchuncle's door, wondering if the troll was deliberately ignoring him, or if he had gone abroad in the forest without anyone noticing. "'Bunchuncle!' he shouted again. "'Bunchuncle!' Feeling like a fool, Grognorp took off his blindfold with the intention of asking the nearby trees if they knew the young troll's whereabouts. But as soon as his eyes were uncovered, there was Bunchuncle, nose to nose with him, laughing a nasty, spittle-flecked laugh right in his face. Grognorp stumbled backwards in shock and revulsion, tripped over a bat's skull and fell flat on his back. This only made Bunchuncle laugh more, and the very sound of it made Grognorp nauseous. He shut his eyes tight and repeated his plea, Bunchuncle, we need you. Scare her out of our woods. Bunchuncle never showed his face for no mortal afore, said the troll once he had stopped laughing. His voice was like roots and old rot. Wherefore he do it? What says the bonfire folk? Grognorp got to his feet and forced himself to look the troll in his bulging red eyes. The boy's bones, he said. If you succeed, you can have them. Oho, said Bunchuncle, dancing a clumsy troll jig. Them's a fine morsel. The Birchling sisters show Bunchuncle when and where they are? Yes, where and when, said Grognorp. But only if the washerwoman leaves the blinking woods and does not come back. Fret not, Bunchuncle assured him. Such irresistible ugliness as mine will surely drive her mad and from the woods both. That night, for the first time in many moons, the coals caught in the washerwoman's hearth, and she had light and warmth in her crumbling hut. A glimmer of a smile crossed her lips as she hung a kettle of water above the fire and set some wild potatoes and sprigs of rosemary to bake amongst the coals. When the water was hot, she stripped the changeling child of its clothes and lifted it into her wooden washtub. She still had a small fragment of the soap she had once used to wash her laundry. As she poured the steaming water over the child, she rubbed its skin with the fragrant fragment and sang over it, as she had not done since she brought the changeling home. 
But as she bathed the child, the hot water began to melt the wax that held the bundles of rushes together, and the changeling came apart before her eyes. As it disintegrated, the glamour faded, and soon there was nothing in her tub but rushes and blobs of wax floating on the surface of the warm water. The washerwoman let out a small and pitiful moan. She raised her trembling hands before her face and stared at them, as if they had been responsible for the transformation, and then she slumped to the ground, hugging her knees to her chest. That was when Bunchuncle began to laugh. In the past, the laughter of the fey folk had always come as a distant ethereal sound, only half heard. But Bunchuncle's laughter was solid and earthy, full of filth and fire, and the washerwoman heard it clearly, echoing about her hut like a trapped moth. She got to her feet shakily and turned to see Bunchuncle standing on the stump that she used as a chopping block, tiny and naked and scowling, a toadstool troll, the ugliest since Grimshick, laughing at her in her own hut. The washerwoman stared for a long time in dumbfounded silence while Bunchuncle pulled grotesque faces. He had made demons scream in terror with such faces. He had caused trees to uproot themselves and flee from him. He had turned owls blind and made foxes lose their appetites. But the washerwoman did not scream or flee or go blind. She did not even look away. She just stared at the little troll standing on her chopping block. And then she did something that nobody had ever done to Bunchuncle before. She laughed at him. It began as a spluttering giggle that might have been a sob, but as it grew it became a full-blown bout of breathless, belly-shaking laughter. She laughed loud and hard, drowning out Bunchuncle's own trollish cackles. She laughed until tears streamed from her eyes and she wet herself, and then she stripped off her soiled clothes, lifted the wash tub in her shaking arms, and poured the hot water over her head. When she noticed the blobs of wax and waterlogged rushes tangled in her wiry gray hair, she laughed all the more. When at last the washerwoman regained her composure, Bunchuncle was staring at her. The little troll blushed and scowled, feeling a curious mix of anger, embarrassment, and fascination. This washerwoman, this mortal, had not vomited in terror. She had not dropped dead or turned to stone. She had laughed at him, and now she was standing stark naked, dripping with bath water, and smiling down at him as if his legendary ugliness were nothing but a joke. Oh, little troll, she said to him, you and your kin have tormented me for too long. I feared you once, but now I am beyond fear. I hated you once, but now I am beyond hate. I thought that you were evil, but now I understand that you are neither good nor evil. As a storm is neither good nor evil, as a mushroom is neither good nor evil. Happiness and misery mean nothing to you. I see all this in your face, for it is not a face wrought by God, but by some vast uncaring power." The washerwoman leaned in close and studied Bunchuncle intently. When she spoke again, Bunchuncle could smell mortality on her breath. "'I will learn to become like you,' she said. "'I am tired of good and evil, of happiness and misery. I have had more than enough for one lifetime. I will become like a storm, like a mushroom.' And as easily as she had shed her clothes, the washerwoman shed her mortality." 
She left it there on the ground in a puddle of bath water, and she skipped out into the blinking woods, naked and laughing, to join the fey folk in their games and mischief. But poor, hideous Bunchunkle stood on the chopping block in a state of sheer confusement, scratching his bald head with a corkscrew thumbnail. He felt uncertain about who he was, baffled and adrift from himself. For the first time in his life, his ugliness had failed him, and a troll without his ugliness is like a bird without her wings or an elf without her magic. A troll without his ugliness is just a tiny, ferocious human. Humph! he growled to himself, looking around the little mud hut. No, Bunchunkle couldn't. Well, then, again, perhaps he could. Perhaps he could, indeed. Bunchuncle failed to drive the washerwoman from the blinking woods, and so he did not receive his reward. The boy's bones were not found and will not be found for another hundred years. But the people of Hintershed Village say that sometimes, if you listen closely, you can hear the sound of laughter and running feet coming from the haunted depths of the woods. The villagers say other things as well. They say that if you leave your laundry in the bowl of a certain hollow tree at the edge of the blinking woods, it will come back the next day as clean and bright and fresh as a spring morning. They also say that if you are foolish enough to venture into the blinking woods at night, and if you are lucky enough to go during the right phase of the moon, and if you are powerful enough to shake the glamour from your eyes, and if you are clever enough to avoid getting lost among the shifting trees and the trap paths, and if you manage to break through all the wards that protect the grand bonfire from outsiders, and you happen to stumble upon it, you might see an old woman with rushes in her hair, sky-clad and wild-eyed, dancing and laughing amidst an unspeakable gathering of fey folk with whom no mortal should consort. And if you happen to continue on a little way, at the edge of the river, you might see a hideous troll with a woman's mortality draped around his small shoulders like a shawl, whistling happily to himself as he attends to baskets brimming with dirty laundry. And welcome back. Of this story, Julian says, I set out to write an old-fashioned fairy tale full of terrible, casual, gleeful cruelty. It's the only story I've ever written that made me feel guilty about the way I treated a character. Well, I'd say you've every right to feel guilty. <laughs> I suppose the washerwoman ended up well? Of course she did. Let's look at feedback this week, which is for episode 357, The Specialist's Hat, by Kelly Link. It was read to us by Elizabeth Green Musselman and was a special favourite of Anna Schwinn's. It was generally well received, although some felt it rather creepy. Arachnophiles said, This was fantastic. One of the finest pieces of spooky fantasy I've seen in a long while. The writing really captured the skewed way a small child sees the world, which is something a lot of authors try to do, but that very few do well. Two thumbs up, and thanks for sharing. Devoted135 said, Those poor girls. They were just playing a game that helped them have courage in a fairly scary situation. 
They didn't mean to attract the attention of all the scary things of the house, and they certainly didn't mean to be actually dead. It makes me creeped out and sad. And Trish M said, I never figured out why the specialist's hat was called that, but I didn't worry about it, just chalk it up to the bizarreness of child logic. Why does a little boy name his toy shark Telephone Man? Why even ask? Me, I'm wondering whether the father was actually trying to help or get help from his daughters, or whether he'd been changed out there and was trying to lure them for some dreadful purpose, and whether the um, ghost babysitter actually meant well, thinking being dead was better than that, or if she was just an evil spirit. What did you think, folks? Come tell us in the forums at forum.escapeartists.net, or stop by our Facebook page. And let us know. Now, are you new to Podcastle? Or newish? Do you wish you could get some older stories? Maybe listen to our back catalogue? Do you know about Poddisc? At Poddisc we have early stories from all three Escape Artists podcasts and a few others besides. For a modest fee, pick up a selection of stories from Podcastle either on CD or DVD. We're working to update our offerings too, and soon we hope to have full collections for each show, as well as Escape Artists merch. On another note, we're extremely pleased to say that we've added two new members to our wonderful Podcastle team. Please welcome new slushers Melissa Hofflich and Jennifer Albert. Well, that was our show for this week. On behalf of everyone here... Our wonderful slushers Arun Dewar, Sarah Goldman, and now Melissa Hoflich and Jennifer Albert. Our audio engineer Peter Wood. Our forum moderators Talia and Ossicat. Your editors Rachel K. Jones and myself. Thanks for stopping by and listening to this week's story. We'll be back next week with another. Until then, this is Graham Dunlop reminding you that when choosing new woods in which to settle... Do check out the neighbours first. Podcastle is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and is distributed on a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Share it, but don't change it or sell it. Our theme music is by Shiva in Exile. You can find them at magnatune.com. And if you like science fiction or horror, be sure to visit our sister podcasts, Escape Pod and Pseudopod. And if you enjoyed this episode, tell a friend, or post to your blog about it, or consider donating via the PayPal link on our site. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, Even in the mud and scum of things, something always, always sings. <laughs>